Hey everybody, Richard here, and thank you for clicking on Season 2, Episode 6 of the Enlightened Investing Podcast. We're back! Uh, Ephraim and I did have to take a brief break for a few months because we just got extremely busy with our schoolwork. But now that school's over, we're excited to be back to releasing episodes every other Friday. Today's episode is Stockbrokers Part 2, so make sure to check it out and listen to the entire episode because I have a really awesome discussion with Mr. Edward Collins. Uh, He tells us about what the daily life of a stockbroker looks like, and he also gives a really interesting perspective on the history of the stock market. He's been in this industry for a while, and what he thinks is going to come in the future. So be sure to listen to the whole episode. Happy Friday, and welcome back, everyone, to the Enlightened Investing Podcast your educational podcast about the stock market. We are lucky enough to have Mr. Edward Collins speaking with us again for this episode. Mr. Collins, thank you so much for being here, and let's get into it. Stockbrokers have a lot on their plate. As a former stockbroker, what do individual stockbrokers have to do on a daily basis? Well, I think that uh, I've mentioned to you before that I was not ever a retail broker that I was always involved in the institutional side. And, uh, you know, I retired 20 years ago, so things have changed a great deal, as you well know. Uh, In the old days, the typical day for someone in the institutional department, whether they were in sales, whether they were in trader sales, whether they were in position trading, or whether they were an analyst, is that you would have a face-to-face meeting every morning usually at 7, maybe 7.30, and go over all of the institutional updates, any new analyst ideas, analyst updates, and we would go through the buy list and the sell list from the different uh, accounts that we had and covered. And you spent the day trying to double your commissions by finding the other side of your your position. Uh, I think that's changed a great deal because so much of that was person to person, and now so much of everything is computerized. And I think that the information is more based on computers than it is on the person to person basis. Yes, sir. And even now, and we mentioned this while just talking with each other, even now, just orders themselves are automated. So there's not people trying to find these buyers and sellers like you had to. Now it's just automatic. Absolutely. And, you know, as you and I discussed at one time, people involved in the market now because they can buy, you know, half shares, fractional shares, odd lots, whatever. And it's such minimal uh, commission. And I think that that's very interesting to see. And again, like we talked last time, so many of the fast driven firms are paid for their order flow. And, you know, that's a huge area for discussion because some people feel like that it's the little guy that's getting hurt, that he's the one paying for the order flow. It's a nice world out there. Yes, sir. And I'm sure we'll come up on those topics later in this episode too. So generally, full service brokers who do give advice and research are expected to grow their clients' portfolios by a certain percentage every year. So what does this mean and why is it important? Well, many people use the S&P, Standard & Poor, 
or the Russell 2000 or the Dow Jones Industrial Average as the measures that they compare themselves against the market. And, you know, any money manager or a portfolio manager strives to do at least as well, if not better, than those measures. That's just a measure that is used by most people that are able to judge what a, mark, a money manager or a portfolio manager is accomplishing compared to those. The index funds are really the main way to judge it. And then another thing that oftentimes brokers are expected to is around 10% every year, which can be similar to the index funds, which just means that they will double your money, hopefully, in 10 years. And that's a good expectation to also have if you're investing by yourself. Because if you're doing if you're doing 10% every year, or if you're just beating the Dow or the S&P 500 every year, that's, that's really good. You should be proud of that. And you shouldn't beat yourself up on if you make a little bit less than you wanted to. Because in the end, as long as you're making more money than you started with, that's a win. Well, there's no question about it. And, you know, the thing that is interesting, when you invest with a hedge fund, you pay a 2% annual fee and 20% of any of the profits they make. If you as an individual can do 10% on your own, you may be way ahead of the game. But just remember, there are down years too. Yes, sir, for sure. And our next question is, brokers and brokerage firms have definitely changed a lot in the last few decades. As a veteran in the stockbroker industry, what changes do you think have been the most significant and what do you think will change in the future? Well, I think that uh, in my lifetime, one of the biggest changes was in 1975 when the SEC uh, determined that there would be negotiated rates instead of fixed rates. And that is one of the big, huge changes and differences. It's also probably one of the things that allowed uh, the volume to pick up so much because uh, the institutional brokers, I mean, institutional money managers were paying so much money for commissions that it really affected their returns. And so I think that was one of them. I think also uh, the end of the special system on the New York Stock Exchange changed things a great deal. It allowed for people to actually move much quicker. In the old days, you had to go and get the specialists to, you know, open the market orderly, et cetera. And they had a definite place in the industry uh, up to a certain point. And it's sort of like we used to say about politicians, I've met good ones and I've met bad ones, but I've never met one that was poor. And that was true in the specialist business. There were some good ones and there were some really bad ones, but they all made money. I think that uh, the beginning of the bull market in August of 1982, that is still going on, uh, the disappearance of some 500 O-line brokerage firms. Think of, you know, these were people in San Antonio that probably we had maybe 10 brokerage firms that, you know, were all very involved. 
the proliferation of computer trading is certainly changed most everything. The ability to trade with only the touch of a screen, you know, it, it's just amazing. But as far as uh, what the future is going to look like, there's an old adage I'm sure you're familiar with. I have 20-20 hindsight and I can't find my way to the post office with my foresight. But I think in the future, we could see same-day settlement, which will change a lot of things. I think that the actual use of cash may disappear. I think checking accounts could disappear. I think that cryptocurrency will become more usable without all the mystery. Volume will probably continue to grow without the flash market breaks that have scared so many of us. History tells us markets do not always go straight up. We've been in a bull market since 1982 with five hiccups. 1987, the dot-com crash, the 2008 housing crash, the February 2020th pandemic crash, and the early 90s, we had some uh, pretty rough days. Things that could affect us in the future is that China may replace us as the number one economy. Wars, national debt, these are all things that could have a long-term negative effect on markets. Again, by 2020 hindsight is not allowing me to know exactly what's gonna happen in the future. I am always an optimist. Yes, sir, for sure. Great point about the 2020 hindsight. Um, and yes, crypto is insanely popular right now and it's definitely growing in popularity. And I myself haven't really invested in it because there's so many mysteries about it right now. But I think at this point, it's kind of hard to deny that it's going to be something in the future. And even companies now are deciding whether or not customers can use cryptocurrency to buy different products. Buy a and Tesla. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, like Tesla, I think. Right. And I'm but sure that'll think, become something with shares. I do think that market. the cryptocurrencies need to have some type of oversight because I believe that we are uh, allowing some real cowboys to get in there and making a lot of money for themselves, but leaving a whole lot of questions in the air for the individual. Mm -hmm. And then the last point I'll make on that with computer trading that you mentioned is now I feel like trading and investing in the stock market is so much more accessible to way more people, which is great, really. Like, I think myself included, I don't think I'd be investing right now if it wasn't for the invention of, like, computer trading and all these automatic orders because I am one of those people who trades on a computer, trades on the touch of a screen. Uh, I do feel like that there are dangers for some of the day traders that believe that they see a trend and but maybe they don't and they can get caught with their pants down. Yes, sir. Day trading is a dangerous game. And I know in the future, I'm going to be doing an episode on trading with another guest and we will be talking about day trading for sure. And the risks that come with it. 
because it is very risky and it's hard to make money when you're day trading. It really it is. It sure is. It sure is. To conclude this episode, what qualities do you believe make a good stockbroker? Well, I think that first, first and foremost, you have to be a critical thinker. I think you have to have a good education, be totally honest, have total discretion. You, have, you must be discreet. It's no one else's business what any of your clients are doing. Uh, you have to have a sense of history. It's great to have a sense of history about everything, but particularly about stock markets. Have a curiosity and have a nose for trends. One of the best investors I ever knew in my life invested in all the growth electronic utilities for probably 10 years. Then all of a sudden decided to get out of those and get into railroad stocks. And I'm like, railroad stocks, what is that about? And he said, well, every railroad stock is gonna have a spinoff in the oil industry. And he made a fortune. And then in 1982, probably in January, he started buying public brokerage firms. And, you know, he, he hit the ball out of the park because he was able to see the trends. Yes, sir. And I'm sure a lot of people in the stock market really just put their money into safer funds that grow over a long period of time. And that works great. That'll make you money over a long period of time. But what I find the most fun that I'm passionate about doing is doing what your friend did, is is sort of strategizing about the future. What's going to be popular? What are people going to use more? What is going to fall out of style as we advance in technology? And trying to predict that and invest in the companies that are going to rise is really offers more more money than just investing in a fund, if you can do it right. Absolutely agree. And, uh, you know, it's like when you were making saddles, when you were making horse collars, when you're doing all that, but now you're making computers. And I don't know whether you saw that the gentleman in England, uh, Mr. Simmons just passed away and he's the one that developed the hand computer, you know, this and that and the other. And he even came out far too early with an electric car but that's how far in advance he was thinking. And so that's, like you say, catching the trends. Great response, and thank you, Mr. Collins. That is going to conclude this episode of the Enlightened Investing Podcast. Mr. Collins, thank you so much for being here and answering this week's questions. Everyone listening, make sure to check out our website, www.enlightenedinvesting.net where all of our listening links are, where you can subscribe to our newsletter, and where you can check out the Enlightened Investing blog. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram at enlightened underscore investing for sneak peeks and teasers of upcoming episodes and email us with any questions you have at enlightenedinvesting at enlightenedinvesting.net All of that will be linked in the description of this episode. So that's all. I'll see you guys in two weeks. Disclaimer. 
Neither the host nor the guest speakers can guarantee possible outcome or profit from our discussions. Our ideas and opinions are based upon reliable information, but in the end, their only expressions are our best opinions, and some of those opinions could be incorrect.